0: The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And Will Miles joins me on this episode, and you can find him on Twitter at Will Miles, SEC, and his site, readandreaction.com. Will we have a whole new crop of Gators to discuss and analyze and break down here uh, after the you know the, the 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 second early signing period? The first one was a year ago, and now uh, coaches are uh, I guess a little more in tune uh, with, with how to take part in it. But uh, Dan Mullen last year, first year on the job, didn't have a lot of time to bring it all together. This year, uh, bowl game, New Year's Six bowl game, and still having to get all these uh, early signees in here in uh, you know December nineteenth uh, and. and through December 21st for this early signing period.
1: Yeah, man, it's always exciting to see the new players who are added to the team. It's exciting to sort of break them down, understand where they are, whether they're in positions of need and how that impacts class rankings and all that sort of stuff. And you know, this is the most important day in some of their lives. And there were a few former players who tweeted out things this afternoon about making decisions in terms of where they were going. I know I saw Tate Casey um, tweet something out about when he signed his LOI to come to Florida and how it was a great decision in his life. And so, hey, congratulations to these guys. Earning a scholarship to Florida to or any of these big schools, but earning a scholarship to Florida to play big boy football is not a small undertaking. They've put in an awful lot of hard work and congratulations to all of them because uh they're now part of the family and uh you know we'll we'll try to be as fair to them as we can.
0: Absolutely. There and we'll uh a quick question too. Uh Do you uh, we've this is our second one now? Of course, covering it. Do do you like the early signing day? Do you still wish it was just one day? Do you wish the one of the second or wish one of the other periods was not in December and some other time of the year?
1: I really like the December time frame. I think it takes away from some of the stuff that's going on in the season. Certainly, for us, it's interesting just in terms of. Um, in, in terms of what it means. And we don't really know that yet. In fact, we've been sort of looking into that and, you know, how have things changed from last year or what can we learn from last year? Those sorts of things. I, I like the February signing day. I mean, if you look at the NFL, they do all their sort of off season stuff in the off season. Um, I would like that to be the way college football is, but they also put this in place so that kids didn't get hounded you know, up until February and give them the ability to commit early. And so I think anytime you move the power to the players, that's usually something I'm in favor of. So if the players like it, then I hope it stays. And if the players want to see it adjusted, then I hope the NCAA does that.
0: Yeah. My, my thought on it is, uh, I like when it was just February, um, for broadcast purposes, I don't mind this in December. <laughs> so, <laughs> especially last year, when there was no bowl game to talk about, we had a new coach signing day, so it, it kind of helped out there. But yeah, I kind of agree. You know, coaches should be able to be, you know, now concentrating on a bowl game. If if you have a bowl game, or if you didn't make a bowl game, you're trying to to bring, you're trying to scrounge up the pieces and 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 you know, hit a signing day in February. But uh, if they're going to have two of them. I wouldn't mind one of them being in August before the season starts, because some players kind of know the decision then uh, where they want to go. Let them concentrate on their senior season, much like you say without being hounded. Uh, if there is a coaching change, you know, have uh, have a waiver in there that you know, if there is a coaching change, they can go somewhere else uh, if they if they so like. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing one in August uh, and then keeping the one in February as well.
1: Yeah. The one thing I do think it helps is, you know, when you talk about gray shirts and guys coming in and basically being offered scholarships and then on National Signing Day sort of being being edged out and processed out, I think that's a lot harder to do with the early signing period because you know who your competition is. You know, if if you're somebody who was being recruited by Alabama. Um, you know that there's probably not space for you at this point. <laughs> so, but, but conversely, if you're being recruited by Ohio State, you know there's plenty of space for you in the, uh, in, in the roster and, and for this year the number of signees they can have. And so, you know, if you're a player, especially with all the coaching movement, um, you know, and having to keep up to that, I mean, these players commit and then they have to sit out for a year. If they decide to change their mind, the coaches don't have to do that. And so I think giving them more information rather than less is a good thing. I agree with you. I think August would be great for the fans, um, you know, the question is, is it best for the players? And I do think that, um, you know, giving them something in December and then something in February means, you know, if you don't sign in December, then you kind of know what your options are afterwards, just because there's a large swath of players who are already committed and maybe you make a different decision because of it. So,
0: and All right, we'll get uh, we'll break down this uh, Florida Gator 2019, the start of the 2019 recruiting class, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news 4 slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify, and find us on social media as well. Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook. And tomorrow, I will have Bill Sykes on uh, to have even more uh, signing day coverage. So me and Will tonight, me and Bill tomorrow, we'll have you covered in uh, many, many angles here uh, for this early signing period, early signing day, whatever you want to call it uh, there. So uh, I don't think anybody can really decide what they want to call this thing. So <laughs> uh, I call it two th- two different things a lot as well. But here we go, Will. Uh, the Gators finished the day 16th in the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, 13 four-stars, 8 three-stars uh, is what they uh, have. That's uh, 21 um, – that's 21 – 20 signees and the one commit and the one black there. So that ranks sixth in the SEC behind Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, and Auburn, and right ahead of Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. And if you go by average player rating, you can move the Gators up one spot to 15th, Uh, So, and I know we'll be asked, so we went ahead and planned for it. I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. If you want to include Chris Steele, because many people feel like he's uh you know he probably he was supposed to send in his letter of intent today to his school or in the next couple of days Announced january 5th if you want to add him 40th best player in the nation uh he'll make his choice known as i said january 5th if the gators were to get him the class would currently set up 14th but as it stands right now he's not in the class so from what we'll talk about from here on out is the Gators being ranked 16th in the 24/7 Sports Composite? Uh, and will it's uh, they 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 made a little bit of move, especially after after they got the Lakeland trio. Uh, but uh, you know we'll we'll see, uh, of course, what happens in February. But after early signing day, the Gators are 16th.
1: Yeah, I think there's some good to take out of this. I think there's also some areas for concern, which is really sort of what we've been saying all year, um, ever since the slow start to this recruiting period started. But you know, you look at where they focused. They have seven offensive linemen that they that they've that they've brought in. And clearly that was an area that coming into the season we thought needed quite a bit of work. And and Flora was pretty fortunate this year to not have a whole lot of injuries up front. You've got Martez Ivey leaving, you potentially got Jawan Taylor leaving. Um, you know, and so there's going to need to be reinforcements there. And they've really done they've really reinforced that, and they've reinforced that with with uh, high level talent. Um, you look at linebacker; that's the other place where Florida really struggled two years ago, and really even struggled this year. I mean, uh, Voshan Joseph showed real, showed flashes of really really good play. David Reese showed flashes of really really good play, but they weren't consistent across the board. And had they, and when Reese was out, I think the linebacking core really struggled, especially against Kentucky. And they brought in four linebackers: and Black, you mentioned, but Tyron Hopper, also very very high ranked. Um, linebackers. And so I think those are sort of the two areas of emphasis that Florida had, and they filled some needs there. Um, you know, when you look at where they maybe could have improved a little bit, um, I think defensive line is a place where they still have to still have to make some play. Um, obviously, with uh, Quishon Fuller at Florida State not signing over there, that's somebody that they could potentially maybe get to come over on the other side. And there are still some defensive line uh, There's still some defensive line candidates out there but the signing of the lakeland trio i think is clearly a big deal for florida you need to keep the guys in your backyard um you know you need to emphasize that that's one of the things that we've talked about when we've talked about steel when we've talked about um thibodeau going out into california trying to get those guys does that cost you the guys in state it doesn't appear that it has for these three at least and so being able to establish that pipeline from lakeland into gainesville I mean, that's one of the places where Urban Meyer really was strong. Um, Steve Spurrier was strong there, too. And so having that pipeline coming into Gainesville, I think, is a big deal. So, you know, at 16th, eh. I mean, it's it's nothing that I'm going to write home about. I'm not going to bounce my kid on my knee and talk about the 2019 signing <laughs> class and and how and how it and how it defeated all the metrics. Um, but I think there's some really good players here. I think there um, is a lot of confidence that the staff is skilled at taking these players and and molding them into what they need to be. I think there's a lot of confidence that the right players for the staff um, are are coming in. And uh, and you know we'll see what Mullen's able to do with it. I, w- I will say that you know, you know they're. You mentioned the five SEC teams, SEC teams that are in front of them. Um, you know that that's a problem. <laughs> you can't be out recruited by half your conference or by you know a thirty-year conference on a consistent basis. That's going to have to improve. Um, you know, and we'll see whether Mullen can do that. But you know, we're only at the early, early signing stage. Um, I think there's some evidence that that we're not going to see a whole lot of movement now that we're in the. Uh, you know, now that we've had this had this uh, period and there are a lot of guys who are off the board at this point, but you know, we'll see what Mullen's able to do. Maybe he's able to flip some high level guys. If he can bring in Steele and Elam, then I think you can start saying that they've got some elite talent to go with a very solid base of guys that they brought in. Like you mentioned the 13 blue chips.
0: Yeah, so here we go. You talked, you, you started with it. I'm going to kind of go with it, too, is, is filling the need uh, and talk about some positions here. Hey, look, you feel the need at quarterback. I am a big believer. You bring a quarterback in every class. Uh, we saw when Florida didn't do that. We've seen the problems that causes. Uh, and Dan Mullen has said that's a strategy of his. He said it from the day he was hired. He said it last year when he was recruiting. You got Emory Jones. You got Jalen Jones. You got Anthony Richardson already committed for next year. Look, he's transforming that quarterback room already in just a year's time. First of all, from better play from Felipe Franks, but also on the recruiting trail and getting Emory Jones and Jalen Jones and another one committed down the line. So, you know, you start talking about filling a need. that starts up top. It starts at quarterback. And uh, you have to really like what Dan Mullen's doing there. Uh, So also talk about transformation of positions, the offensive line. Absolutely transformation there. Signed seven this cycle. Uh, Four of those being four stars. And, uh, you know, after signing four offensive linemen last cycle. So that's 11 in the last two cycles. Uh, So, you know, look, two positions that Mullen has come in, transformed that we saw as some of the biggest weaknesses on the team. You look at two positions now that have been completely transformed by, looks like a talent influx as well, players that fit your system. And what we considered a problem coming into this season maybe we won't see as too much of a problem in the years to come, Will.
1: Sure. I mean, you know, the, the hope is that these guys come in and that they perform and that you hit, you know, you bring in seven offensive linemen, you only got to hit on five. So, <laughs> so, so, but again, quality depth, I think, is something that we all knew was missing last year, that if Martez Ivey had gone down in the second game with some sort of season-ending injury, it would have meant a whole lot of trouble for that offensive line. And luckily, we didn't see that this year, but I'm sure the coaches saw it in practice and saw the areas that they needed to improve and put an emphasis there. Um, you know, Particularly the fact that they've got a, a bunch of high-level four-star guys who are coming in to play on that offensive line. That's going to be a real shift from what's been there under McIlwain. I mean, the offensive line was not an area of emphasis under Jim McIlwain. He did not bring in a whole lot of blue-chip guys in that space. Um yeah, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think it's a great thing that they brought them in. It's a good foundation. Um, the question is always, is, is it enough? But, you know, it's never going to be enough for anybody, really, <laughs> unless maybe you're saving. Maybe he's got enough at this point. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think offensive line and linebacker are the areas where they've really emphasized, I think. And, and the quarterback, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, because, you know, Jalen Jones has been committed really from the start um, ever since Mullen came in there. He's got a lot of physical skills. I know they downgraded him recently to a 3 star, um, but he was good enough to get upgraded to a four-star during the offseason. So, you know, whether that's an accuracy thing or whether that's a, uh, you know, exactly why that is, I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to go back and look at some of the statistics. But but clearly he's a talented player, and Mullen has shown that he can take guys who have talent and sort of mold them into his into his system, and he's going to have to do that with Jones.
0: And, well, another thing you just brought up and talking about that, and it kind of just triggered something in my head, you're also, when you're bringing in quarterbacks like this, it allows you to not throw him in right away. And now we've seen I think Felipe Franks take enough of a step. And we definitely saw it this year where Felipe Franks took a big uh, enough of a big step. You didn't have to throw Emory Jones out there to the Wolves. Now he'll have some experience and maybe a quarterback battle for next year, but it also lets you know that Jalen Jones doesn't have to come in here uh when he signed and go through uh, spring and you know trying to be the guy. He can work on some mechanics. He can learn the offense and not have to be thrown out there. And that's another part of being able to, to to go get another quarterback, go get one every year. Now these guys can sit and learn instead of having to be thrown out there to the wolves and thrown out there before they're ready to play.
1: I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, when we we talk about recruiting and rankings and things like that, really what we're talking about is depth. And we're talking about probabilities. So if you bring in five five star guys, chances are three or four of those guys are going to turn into high level starters. If you bring in five four star guys, you're probably talking two of those guys turning into high level starters. If you bring in five three stars, maybe you get one guy who's a high level starter. And so the, the proportion of really what you're talking about is how are you building depth? And so it's the same thing in the quarterback room. If you bring in a quarterback every year, you don't have to hit on a quarterback every year. You have to hit on one every four years nope. so or every three years. I
0: mean,
1: if you got a guy going to the NFL, you're doing pretty well at that position. And so, um, you know, you, you bring them in, there's a probability they're going to be great. There's a probability they're going to be a bust. There's a probability they're going to get injured because this is a physical sport. And so being able to bring in that quarterback, and that's one of the things that Florida State's really struggling with right now. Yeah. You know, With Howell decommitting and going to North Carolina, Taggart hasn't brought in a quarterback yet in, in any of his two classes. It doesn't look like he's going to bring in somebody for this one. And if he
0: does, they're probably settling on somebody they didn't want in the first place.
1: Well sure. So, you know, again, there's value to having that relationship early saying this is the most important guy on the team and I'm going to make sure I have him committed. I'm going to have him committed early and I'm going to have him helping recruit the kind of guys I want on the team as opposed to uh, as opposed to waiting out for a for a, for a high high level recruit, but you know, How's a good player? He's been committed there for a while, and so um, I think a lot of it has more to do with the way the Florida State season went this year um, than it probably does with with anything else. And you know, hey, we've Will, talked. A hey, little...
0: Will, we, we, we could jokingly say that, but he just went to a two and nine team. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, you know as well as I do that I I do not believe that the on field results impact the twenty nineteen class that much. Yep. Um, but uh, but hey, as as long as we can make fun of Florida State losing, I'm all for it, buddy.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. You had a bad season. Well, he just went to a team that had a worse season. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll we'll move to the other side of the ball and keep on with the good news here. Uh, Another position that we'll see an influx of talent is linebacker. Uh, You got Tyron Hopper, the 150th best player in the nation, 7th best outside linebacker. uh, Muhammad Diabate, the 167th best player in the nation, 8th. Uh, best outside linebacker. I'll include unsigned one Black uh, because he, you know, he's included in the rankings since he is committed. Uh, he dropped a little bit in the rankings this year because he didn't play, uh, but he's still ranked as the 149th best player in the nation without playing a down uh, football <laughs> this past fall. Uh, he's a 10th rank uh, inside linebacker in the nation. And then the Gators also brought in three star Josiah Pierre, uh, to give uh, the Gators another outside linebacker. So, when you talk about a position of need that needs uh, not necessarily numbers, but a talent influx, that's what they got here in this group that they brought in.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and not just numbers, but talent. I mean, David Reese last year was a four star, 296th overall, and he's the highest ranked linebacker on the roster until these guys get in on get into campus. And so you know, you look at Black Hopper and and Diabate, they're all Top 200 guys. And so you've got a serious influx of talent. You've also got guys who are categorized as inside linebackers and outside linebackers. You add those to, to David Reese, you add those to David Reese from last year, <laughs> you add those to, uh, Chatfield from last year as well. And now you've got the real makings of a group that has some inside-outside capability, the ability to maybe be more multiple in Grantham schemes, which is something that Mullen's been talking about since last year. Um, this is a really good group of linebackers. It's really important for Florida to bulk that up. Um, last year, I wrote extensively about how McIlwain had also ignored this area. And so for Florida to fill that space is
0: is significant. Randy Specials.
1: <laughs> well, you know, hey, we could say that, but Voshan Joseph and David yeah. Reese have been really good. Yep. And so, you know, they, they've hit on some guys and and those guys have played pretty well. But it's also pretty clear when you're watching that they have physical limitations and that they have um, – Limitations in terms of their ability to stick to the scheme. And so bringing in guys who don't have those physical limitations and you can sort of, you know, from a competition standpoint, if somebody is is messing up the scheme, you put in somebody who's just a talented as opposed to having a significant drop off. So, um, you know, Florida's is going to be better at the linebacker position for the next couple of years because of these guys. It's It's a it was an area of need. It was an area of emphasis and they got the job done there.
0: All right, so uh, we'll kind of go through the day that was, Will, uh, when we look at this Wednesday. Uh, of course, we'll keep on with the good news. We'll start with the good news in the Lakeland trio uh, DeAve Hammond, Lloyd Summerall, and Keon Zipper signed with the Gators. Uh, Will, these were some of the best players in this class that Florida was able to bring in and why getting these three were so important. Uh, Zipper is the 136th best player in the nation, the fourth best tight end in the nation, according to 27 Sports Composite. Uh, and the state of Florida's 18th best player, uh, offensive guard Diave Hammond, you know, the 174th nation's best player, uh, 12th best offensive guard, and state of Florida's 23rd best player. And then Lloyd Summerall is the 237th best player in the nation, 15th ranked weak side defensive end and uh, the 36th best player in the state of Florida. So, coming into the day, Will, the, these guys were a must get because Florida was on the outside looking in for some of the other big targets uh, that were on the board. These were the three Florida fans felt good about, and it, it, and it came to fruition. Uh, Will Zipper could be a matchup nightmare at the tight end, H-back position. Uh, Summerall is a tall and rangy defensive end. Had eleven and a half sacks this past year in his senior year, and then the Avi Hammond, a six foot four, three hundred and fifty pound offensive guard that the Gators desperately need uh, to sh- to need to to shore up the offensive line with upper talent uh, and depth. So you know these are the only targets that signed with Florida that weren't already committed to the Gators, coming off of a state championship team.
1: Yeah. You know, we already talked a little bit about just securing Lakeland and how important that is, but also it's important because of who these guys were considering beyond Florida, right? I mean, Zipper and Summerall were considering uh, were considering Miami and considering them pretty heavily. And in fact, last week, you know, I think Zipper Zipper had an official visit to Miami and, every, and sort of the news when they were on their official in Gainesville was that they were considering Miami at the time. So, you know, to have to not only secure that area of the state, but also to secure it against your, one of your in-state rivals, I think is important. Um, you mentioned tight end. That's a space that again, under McElwain was lacking, but now they've added Kyle Pitts last year. They've added Zipper this year. Um, we saw Pitts doing stuff on the outside a lot this year, not necessarily on the inside, but, you know, Siante Lewis is going to be gone pretty soon. You've got Moral Stevens, who's going to be gone. Um, you've got Kroll who came in, but he's only got a year or two of eligibility left. And so, um you know, bringing in, a t- same thing as a quarterback, right? Bringing in a tight end every year is important to make sure you have the depth, to make sure you have that elite talent. And then um, I don't think I need to tell anybody why an offensive guard <laughs> who's a top 200 player is important in the Dan Mullen scheme, right? I mean, we saw the development of the offensive line from game one to game 12 over the course of the season. We saw how they dominated Florida State up front in that game, you know, you start adding elite talent to that, and, and now you get a team that can dominate anybody up front. And you get a quarterback a lot of time, he's going to be really, really good. And it's not a coincidence that Frank's had his best game against Florida State in a game when Florida State couldn't get any push at all up front. And I think the more you see the Florida quarterback protected, the better off he's going to be. And and you know, just thinking back to the Michigan game last year, you know, Frank's was getting harassed the entire game. Had he been a little bit more comfortable in the pocket, maybe he plays a lot better throughout that year if the offensive line had been better. And, you know, so it's a symbiotic relationship and certainly having that guy is going to be important.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of times, you know, there's the the popular phrase that their perception is reality. Uh, and, you know, these guys were thought, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say shoe-ins, but, you know, from a Florida-friendly school or a once Florida-friendly school, uh, you know, these guys coming into the day, um, you don't get these three. You know these these were the three that you get fans felt more confident about more than than any other or any other. Luckily, they were also some of the highest you know the highest prospects on the board. They are some of the highest prospects in your class. Uh, and you know, perception would if you don't get those guys, the perception would have been um, would, would have been pretty bad when you go back and look at this class. But you pull these guys in, they were announcing on ESPN too. Uh, a lot of people were watching uh if you're watching if you 're into college football, you were watching Saturday coverage and hey look, Florida had pretty much what all three of these guys going to announce Florida pretty much had a ten minute p s a you're talking about Florida and Tom luganville was on ESPN talking about how how he loves these guys and how uh, he was even speaking of Dan Mullen's development of talent and how good of a coach he is, and how Gator fans should feel good about Dan Mullen being the coach and what he can do with the talent talent that he's going to assemble at Florida. So you know, Florida got a lot of praise with these guys committing on live TV, um, and you know it, it, they took their time with, with these announcements with these three. And like I said, it was kind of a PSA for Florida for for ten minutes that uh, really really put out a lot of positive uh outlook uh when you know of course espn the the most powerful voice in in sports is sitting there talking well about florida for a little while
1: yeah i mean these guys were must-haves right i mean if, if there were if there were players who were two hours from tuscaloosa alabama fans would be disappointed if saban didn't bring them in if there were players who were two or three hours from athens People would be mad at Kirby Smart for not bringing those guys in. And 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 it should be the same thing for Florida. If there are people within two or three hours of Gainesville, that should be a circle that Dan Mullen has just circled on the state and says, nobody from these schools goes anywhere but the University of Florida if we want them. And and that's the way he's going to have to recruit. And that's the way that he's going to build the program into, into a juggernaut again, is locking down the areas where guys should grow up saying, I want to play for Florida. And certainly, you know, the last nine or 10 years has maybe impacted that a little bit. But, you know, these guys still remember when Florida was great. I mean, when they were seven or eight years old playing peewee football, Florida was winning national championships. And so there's, I'm sure there's some emotional connection to Florida if they've lived anywhere close and they've dreamed of playing in the swamp and they've wanted to be there. And I think Mullen has made that a little bit of a reality based on the way that the season went this year. But, you know, again, I, I think um, these are guys you have to get. And then there were guys throughout the day that, you know, you really, really, really want to get that that we missed on. And, and that's something that's going to have to improve.
0: That's exactly where I was going with uh, it, it. It wasn't all positive today, Will. So it's exactly exactly what happened. And we we look. We have to start at the top. Uh, the biggest storyline of the day for Gators was that Lakeland trio, and also running back Trey Sanders from IMG. Many thought coming into the day it was Georgia. Uh, late last night, early this morning, that thought kind of shifted around. From what I've been told, was uh, Holyfield, the, the the running back for Georgia, probably not leaning going towards the NFL. That may have affected what Trey Sanders was thinking. Uh, And when it was all said and done, picks Alabama over Florida and Georgia. Many thought that the family ties to Florida, with his brother, Umstead Sanders, uh, and his mom being a Gator fan, uh, would end up pushing Trey Sanders to Florida. um, If the story is true that he was considering Georgia and then the pick is Alabama. That probably lets you know Florida was third behind those two schools uh, and not as high as many thought maybe coming into the day. So, or, you know, maybe he was just really, really torn and and you really don't know how to place those teams, but on the surface, that's what it looks like. Well, and I I go back to the word perception. This one hurts perception a little bit because like like I said, the, the connection there and, but the perception would have been raised. I don't necessarily know how it, does, does it hurt Florida? A, a little bit, yes. I mean, Florida's deep at running back. You have some targets next year that if you did it this way, you have to get those, though. You, and really, right now, you don't know if you're going to get those guys. But, you know, perception – Uh, getting Sanders, getting a five-star running back, you know, after Ivy and CC Jefferson leave, Florida will not have a five-star on this roster. So this was their first big chance to to add a five-star onto the roster. So when I go back to the word perception, it would have helped the perception of Florida to go and say, all right, we battled Georgia, we battled Alabama, we went and got a five-star running back that we really wanted.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think perception maybe, I, I don't know that it matters that much. I think you need to get elite players on your team. And right now Florida doesn't have anybody ranked in the top one hundred according to the twenty four-seven sports composite who's coming in into this class. And if you really want to look at where this class is is maybe lacking a little bit, is that's really where it's lacking is the top end. Talent—the guys who the recruiting services are saying are can't miss prospects. Now, you know, you can argue about how accurate those are, and I think I would argue that they're fairly accurate because the teams that bring in a ton of can't miss prospects have a lot of guys who go to the NFL and a lot, and they win a lot of games in, in college. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to bring in top tier guys in order to win in the SEC and in order to win in college football. And so bringing in one of them is the start. You can't get the second one until you got the first one. You can't get the third one until you got the second one. And so Sanders would have been that first domino to fall and would have been an important, it would have been an important statement just from the standpoint of you've beaten Alabama, you've beaten Georgia for that particular guy. I mean, look, I want Mullen to win every game when he's on the field. And I want him to win every recruiting battle when he's recruiting, because I want Florida to win everything. And so, and so, when a guy goes to Georgia or when a guy goes to Alabama, I'm going to be disappointed because um, I'd like him to come to Florida. And so, you know, is it was at the end of the world that you lost one five star candidate. No, and in fact, I don't think you want to judge a class based on one guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you get Trey Sanders and your class goes up to 14th, if you thought it was bad at 16th. And you should still think it's, you should still think it's bad at 14th. If you think it's great at 16th, you should think it's still great at 14th. I mean, I don't think one one recruit should change your perception of an of an overall class. I think you look at the overall class, the quality of the players and you say, okay, how does this mesh with what we need? And then also how does this mesh compared to our competition? And that's how you analyze it. And so you know, had Sanders picked Florida, that would have been how we would have analyzed it. And the fact that he picked Alabama means that the rich get richer and uh, the gap gets wider. And, you know, there's going to have to be some significant development um, within the Florida program in order to compete with teams like Alabama and Georgia. Just, you know, obviously you go on the field and you play and, and that's that's what you want to do. I mean, you know, teams with less talent win all the time. They just don't win consistently all the time. And so, um, you know, eventually these dominoes are going to have to fall. And hopefully that happens in the next month or two.
0: Uh, yep, and we'll go on to some uh uh guys who other targets who decided to go elsewhere instead of Florida and one along the position a big big position in the defensive line uh, where Florida didn't fare so well uh today either. Derek Hunter picks Texas A and M as of a few days ago. Many thought he was a Gator Lean Texas A and M. Jimbo Fisher come in. Uh you know, he was a FSU commit. Uh, many, many mother- you know, 90% of people out there thought that wasn't going to stay. Most people knew. Uh, then uh, most people kind of thought it would be Florida uh, who would get his services. Not so much. Texas A&M, Jim Fisher come in uh, and get him. And then the defensive lineman who visited this past weekend at Florida, uh, Siake Ika. I hope I'm saying that name right. I have no idea if I am or not. Uh, he chooses LSU after a late push from the Gators. And I will say I, I, the talked to some people around the program. Florida really, really impressed his family, and it came down to the uh, the, the 11th hour last night. Uh, they were Him and his family were talking. Uh, apparently, there was a story out there where they weighed every school in a point system, and Florida actually wasn't out there. Uh, but uh, you know, Ico wanted to go to LSU. LSU had been on him for a while, uh, I think since October Now there. He was supposed to be in Alabama's class. Uh, that didn't work out. Alabama pushed him out. That's the only reason the Gators even got a visit this past weekend. Florida impressed him so much to to kind of put in his head that it could be uh, the Gators to be his next team. But LSU uh, wins out there in the end. And then also defensive lineman Brandon Dorliss chooses Oregon over Florida after decommitting from Virginia Tech a couple weeks ago. Most people thought that was the shoe in after he decommitted from Virginia Tech uh, right down the road. Uh, the, from, from from the Gators, so that was three defensive linemen wheels that the Gators, uh, some people felt good about Hunter and Doorless. as of, you know, if you wanted to say a week ago, uh, and then the Gators kind of just strike out there today.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's an area of need and it's an area that they needed to fill and they haven't done that yet. I mean, Summerall's a good player, and and certainly they got a defensive tackle in uh, in Jalen Humphreys who's also who's also a very good player. Um, so they do have two blue chips at that space. So you know, it, Dorless would have been. I mean, he's a three star candidate. He's a good player, but he's not somebody that you look at and say, hey, he's an immediate defense difference maker. Um, Hunter you know he's he's been sort of a weird recruitment this entire year no one's really known where he's going so I don't know that you can be too disappointed that he picked a and m i mean no one i really think even thought he was going even considering a and m until sometime recently yeah. um You know the Thibodeau thing. I don't think anybody ever thought he was coming here. But again, this is sort of indicative of not drawing that circle around Gainesville. I mean, unless you're drawing a circle that encompasses the entire United States, um, you know, and spending resources on defensive linemen who are out there. And I mean, I think Florida should go after the number one guy in the country or number two guy in the country, depending upon which uh, which service you look at. But you know. they've missed on a lot of the defensive linemen they've been looking at. So, um, you know, we'll see what they do. There are still some guys out there. Um, There aren't a whole lot of guys out there, but there's still some guys out there potentially that they can flip Um, one of the silver linings for today. And we'll probably get into this a little bit, but you know, Florida state didn't get all their guys signed, Mm -hmm. which means you still have the capability of flipping some of those guys. And so, um, you know, we'll see whether Florida has the ability to do that because there are some good guys that these, they're very good players at the Seminoles have committed who decided not to sign today. And, you you know, I'm not exactly sure what kind of sign what what that's indicative of in terms of what's going on in Tallahassee, but uh, but maybe Mullen can take advantage and bring some of those guys in.
0: Yeah, so uh, one more signee that could have happened today. We don't know yet. As I mentioned earlier, Chris still cornerback the there from California. Uh, we'll know for sure. January fifth. Um, we'll, it's kind of a weird story to me because, okay, if you do sign it today, tomorrow, or Friday, what are the chances that doesn't get leaked out? <laughs> I mean, you know, I think you're taking a, a pretty big chance there. You know, one is okay. Say you do sign to Florida, and other schools find out. You know, if you want to follow the breadcrumbs, you know, uh, you'll start seeing other schools offer cornerbacks that maybe thought they got had a good chance at still. Uh, or you know, one of those other schools can say, okay, he signed at Florida, so let's move on. So, I mean, I, I know he's trying to create suspense. I know he wants to make an announcement. So, you know, if it is within this three day window, I have a hard time finding out that it doesn't get out. Uh, But officially, we have to wait till January 5th when Chris Still will announce, like as I mentioned, uh, one of the top 50 players in the nation, uh, position of need for the Gators as well to bolster up, you know, the the talent behind what they already have uh, at cornerback. You want to get back to that four star, five star status, high elite status at cornerback that Florida is known for. uh, And it will start with Chris Still.
1: Yeah, you're right. This has been a weird one. I mean, this is one where when he com- when he initially announced his commitment to USC, I think the video was recorded and edited by Gator, <laughs> by Gator people, <laughs> and then uh, you know, and and so it's it's been sort of odd from the start. And then he's been flirting with Florida, and then there was some discussion of Oregon, and then you know, s- reports of some sort of weird back alley meeting at USC this weekend. <laughs> so you know, I I have no idea. Yeah. I know that it probably not the best strategy to be hinging all your hopes on a guy in California. I think there's a lot working against you when it comes to, um, when it comes to pinning your hopes on your best player for the class coming from out there. Now, yeah, hey if steel comes then hey some of the resources were obviously worth it because whenever you can bring in a guy who's top 40 um, you know you have to do it and you have to spend the resources that are necessary to do that but um, there are some top 40 guys who are probably two or three hours away from Gainesville too who have decided to go elsewhere and, and that's an area where I hope that the uh, that the recruiting improves in year three under Mullen because uh, that that's really where Florida is going to be able to get back to an elite class but you know you're right I mean having a having a cornerback with that sort of elite talent, being able to put him out on an island. You know, we remember Joe Hayden. We remember Janoris Jenkins. We remember Vernon Hargraves. Remember Tease Tabor. Those were all very, very high ranked guys coming in. Um, certainly, uh, certainly, you know, Wilson and, and uh, Marco Wilson and, and, uh, and CJ Henderson have all been, have been very, very good at corner. And those guys were pretty highly ranked too, but you know, there were clearly some depth issues on the backside with Chauncey Gardner Johnson leaving. They need to fill that gap as well. They've got three defensive backs that they signed thus far. Um, You know, Chester Kimbrough is a high level three star. And then you've got, uh, then you've got uh, Jaden Hill, who's a low level four star. You bring in somebody who's a high level four star and all of a sudden your, your depth looks really good, but also your talent level looks good too. So, you know, being able to bring somebody into Grantham's defense who can play man to man is really important. And so hopefully steel comes and, whether it gets leaked tomorrow or whether or whether we <laughs> the fifth, as long as he chooses Florida, um, I'm not I'm not going to begrudge him his uh, his path to where he's committed to.
0: I'll say I'll feel good there. I'll leave it at that. Um, so let's go on and talk about will some some positions that could have been better or maybe will be addressed. Uh, you know, coming up uh, here for for the Gators going into the, the February uh, signing day, and you look uh, the missed on trade Sanders, but they do have Naquan right there. Uh, you know, Florida would have taken two running backs. Having one running back is it's fine. I'm not worried about having one running back there with what Florida has, with what the targets they have coming up in years to come. Nequan Wright, people that I know uh, coaching high school football here really love this kid. Really love his ability uh, and what he showed his senior year uh, there. So uh, I think Gator fans should be excited uh, at a skill player there. Uh, but you know, you turn and, and kind of look at wide receiver. Uh, there and you know not really uh, a talent influx there, much like what we were kind of talking about the the linebacker core there. And uh, Dan Mullen really really high on, on three star Jamarcus Weston, and uh, he said how how good of a person he is and and his character, and you could really tell Mullen was kind of genuine there um, in his signing day press conference there. But then uh Chris Doring said something on SEC network that you know really caught my attention when talking about Weston and quote he didn't go to any camps uh played at 6'3 205. If he would have gone to camps he would have been a five star. So that kind of that comes from Chris Doring uh, former Gator wide receiver, uh, we know we've had him here on the podcast as well. Uh, so you know, Chris is pretty much a straight shooter, he was pretty critical of, of the Florida program this fall, so uh, and he knows wide receivers as well. So, you know, hopefully, Chris saw something there that you know we can really look at uh, when it comes to Weston here. Also, Deontay Marks, uh, another three star. A receiver was pretty exciting on the field uh, this times that fall. And then and Trent Wintermore played safety, cornerback, wide receiver, and even quarterback uh, at his school. Uh, started on varsity as a freshman and 1,374 receiving yards, 72 touchdowns on or uh, 17 touchdowns on 93 receptions as well. Uh, with three rushing touchdowns in his high school career, so Will, there's there's potential at wide receiver, and we we know that's a scary word. Uh, just not the top end talent that we would uh n- 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 like to see. Uh, so have great talent there already. Uh, so maybe these guys can you know, can kind of come in and and develop a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've clearly seen what Mullen wants to do at the wide receiver position. I mean, obviously, Riley Cooper is sort of the guy you think of in terms of the prototypical. Maybe guy who isn't a complete burner, but somebody who's who can be really productive in Mullin's offense. Um, both Marks and Weston are very tall. Um, they're big guys who are going to be able to go up and high point the ball. Certainly, Trevon Grimes that he brought in last year has sort of the same the same profile in terms of being in terms of being tall, being able to go get it. Um, you know, so the, I, I think it's pretty clear that he likes the tall wide receivers, thinks he can take advantage of some mismatches when they get numbers advantages, whether a guy can beat, beat his guy in the open field or not. doesn't really matter whether he gets separation if he's six inches taller than the competition. Um, but certainly I think there's work to be done there. I, You know, I, I don't know enough about Weston to be able to say that he's a five star. If Doring mm-hmm. says he's really good, then that's great. Um, you know, hey, guys who are three stars are going to do elite. Turned into very very good players to even elite players in college football all the time. It's just at a much lower percentage than four stars and five stars. And so, you know, I'm never going to look at somebody and say he's a three star. He's a bad player. I don't think they are. In fact, I think any like I said at the start, anytime you get a scholarship to play at a place like the University of Florida, you're a really 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 good football player. Um, you know, the the biggest issue here beyond just the the you know the dearth of a of a can't miss prospect is there's only two wide receivers on the list, and you know you need three or four on the field at any given time, you think about offensive line, they sign seven guys, you need five of them on, you know, you, five of them on the field. Same thing with, with wide receivers. If you need three or four, you probably need to be signing three or four every class. And so, you know, that's a place that hopefully they can, they could find somebody and bring somebody in before February. But if not, is a place where Florida might find themselves a little bit thin in a couple of years, um, just because of the only having two signed for this class.
0: Yep, and as far as defensive line there, we mentioned the misses there, Will, just recently, but uh, Gators bring in highly rated four-star Jalen Humphreys on 24-7 sports, national ranking, 251st ranked player there, um, 17th ranked uh, at his position. Uh, And uh, Florida had a little summary about him of what they put out, known for his versatility and his ability to play inside and outside uh, on a defensive line, 6'4", 314 pounds, uh, so really, if you look at it, he's the only true defensive lineman that Florida is going to bring in. Lloyd Summerall can, can play in, uh, but he may be that rush in outside linebacker type uh, when it, when it's all said and done. So, you know, the, the Gators definitely need the bigger body types and Mullen even said so in his Sunday press conference.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great that he's able to, to see the areas of need and <laughs> voice them. And, and, you know, I, I, don't imagine that was unintended. I'm guessing he's sending a message to a couple of guys he's been talking yeah. to, um, and basically saying, "Hey, we need you. Wink, wink. Come on over here." Um, and so we'll see whether he's able to close that gap. I mean, one guy. Again, I said this earlier. One guy does not make or break a class. So I'm not going to say, "Oh, because they signed one more defensive lineman who's a blue chip, that makes this class elite." And I'm not going to say, "Oh, because they missed on one defensive lineman, that means this class is 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 garbage." I don't think either one is true. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think you have to take the entire class as a whole. And so, um, yeah, it'd be great if they had more defensive linemen. I think the guys they signed, though are blue chip guys. They're more likely to turn into difference makers on the field. And that's something that was missing under McIlwain at the defensive line is, you know, Jakai Polite turned into an awesome defensive end. That's a rare thing to have somebody who comes in as a three star who ends up being a first round draft pick. And so, you know, does that indicate that maybe they were really good at finding diamonds in the rough? Sure. But you know, you don't want to rely on that long-term. And so bringing in guys who are top 300 or even top 200 rated prospects is really important at that position. So even if you don't have the numbers, the, the fact that they're highly ranked guys, I think makes a difference.
0: Yeah. I saw it on the YouTube chat. So if I said it wrong, Humphrey's six four three fourteen. So I don't know if I said six ten, but no, I didn't mean to say that if I did. So, <laughs> uh, be a big boy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, sign me up right now. Uh, so if we, uh, we'll go to the secondary right now, only Chester Kimbrough and Jadon Hills signed, uh, today. And they both fit the cornerback position more so than, uh, safety of course. So, uh, the Gators may be bringing in Chris Steele soon, uh, but he's another cornerback mold. Uh, so is Kyrie Elam. So I'm not really the sure of the planet safety, uh, for, for the Gators, uh, when it's all said and done in this class.
1: Yeah, you wonder whether maybe somebody like Trey Dean or Amari Bernie goes out and 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 takes that space. Those guys were actually recruited as safeties last year, and then Dean was brought in to play corner when Marco Wilson went down. And so with with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson leaving, certainly that sort of role is open for somebody like Bernie or maybe even Trey Dean. And, you know, these guys coming in may get pretty immediate playing time, especially if there's an injury or two, um, just because there isn't a prototypical safety out there. I mean, Donovan signers a really good player, but Um, You know there are also deficiencies. I know against Georgia, he was exploited in one-on-one coverage a little bit. Um, And so they may need to do some mixing and matching, especially as these guys are younger, um, to make sure that they've got the right guy on the field. So almost have like a nickel and a dime package and then have more of a run package, just like you would do with linebackers who are physically limited or scheme limited because they're younger. You can do the same thing with the defensive backs.
0: Well, okay. One thing I uh, wanted to get at here is – I think we have to take a look at the state of Florida – and what the Gators were able to do uh, at this early signing period in the state of Florida. And if Florida's going to get back to the elite recruiting that we've we've discussed, uh, they have to start getting the state's top talent in the fold. They they need to be Gators. and According to 24-7 Sports, you you, you have to go to Keon Zipperer before you find the highest-ranked player that is committed to the University of Florida that is from the state of Florida. He's the 18th-ranked player in the state. So now, you know, we'll see what happens with Akeem Dent, Kyrie Elam, Mark Anthony Richards. But, Will, you you look at the top, and now I know the whole IMG stigma and how you want to – if you want to count those guys or not. But, you know, some of those guys are from the state of Florida. Uh, But the top three players in the state of Florida are all from IMG. Nolan Smith committed to Georgia. Trey Sanders committed to Alabama. Evan Neal committed to Alabama. Frank Latson committed to Clemson sixth best, Tyreek Stevenson, will decide between Georgia and Miami. Well, this is a trend that definitely, you know, has to change. You know, I don't want to harp too much on next year's class uh, just yet. You know, we need to concentrate on what we have here. But it does look better there uh, for the Gators. Demarcus Bowman, third best player in the state. Uh, The Gators kind of in good shape there uh, a year away from now. Uh, Wide receiver Leonard Manuel is the fourth best. There's a lot of buzz uh, about Florida with him as well. Florida commit Kayvon lee is 11th best player in the state uh you know gators already have him in the fold uh, but if you go back and look at this class will this is a, a, a it's been a trend for way too long that some of the state's best talent and is not going to Florida and in this class they're not going to Florida State or Miami either they're headed out of the state
1: and yeah, well, not only that, they're going to the rivals that Florida's going to have to go through in order to win the SEC. I mean, Clemson, you mentioned there for the lot for Ladston, but everybody else is going to Alabama or Georgia. And so you can't have guys in your backyard going to Georgia. You just can't. You can't have guys in your backyard going to Alabama because you're eventually going to come play them. You know, and I know there was some sort of quote about, uh, about Saban talking to a guy who wound up committing to LSU and basically said, well, I guess we'll have to kick your butt every year. (laughs) I mean, in some capacity, that's sort of what's going to end up happening if these guys keep leaving the state. And it's not, I mean, the state of Florida is a microcosm for Um, recruiting overall, right? Because Florida is so loaded with talent that really, if you're a Florida team and you win Florida, you're going to be ranked really high nationally. And so if you go back and look at nationally, what Florida coaches have done in the second year, you know, you can look at Mullen and say, Hey, he's got 13 blue chips and Zook had 14 in his second year. Meyer had 18, Muschamp had 16 and McElwain had nine. And you're like, okay, well, if if Mullen can pull in a couple of more blue chips, he's gonna be right up there with Zook and Muschamp and, and closing in on Meyer. But then you look at the top one hundred talent. And Zook had twelve, Meyer had nine, Muschamp had six, McElwain had four, and Mullen's got zero. And so that's really I think where the where the concern lies is not necessarily the, you know, the depth of the class is really, really good going from, you know, basically 150 in, in the nation all the way out. It's the 150 forward that's been the issue. And that's why guys like Steele and Trey Sanders and and Kyir Elam and guys like that are so important because, you know, you need that top end talent. And, mm-hmm and that the top-end talent is in Florida. So, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that nationally they're struggling to get top 100 guys when they're struggling to get top 100 guys in the state. So um, it's going to have to turn around. They're going to have to put boots on the ground, build relationships, start building those pipelines. I know Lakeland's got a couple of really elite guys coming in the next couple of years. Certainly the 2020 class... Um, you know, I think is going to be impacted by the nine and three record this year, the improvement from Felipe Franks, the improvement from the defense, sort of the improved atmosphere around the team. And the 2021 class, we're already seeing they've got a five-star guy committed there, um, really high, high-level four-stars committed as well. But, you know, I don't want to wait two years for these guys. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna, I'm want to. i as impatient as anybody. So I'd like to see it now. But, you know, hey, you, you deal with the, the cards you're dealt. I think Mullen will do a good job of coaching these guys. I think there's quite a bit of depth. And I think if we look back, so, Florida this year, if you took the last four recruiting classes, um, they were at an average star rating of 3.44. Last year, Mullen brought in a class that had an average star rating of 3.63. This year, thus far, the average star rating is 3.65. So he's slowly improving the talent compared to where it was under McIlwain. And so we're going to see some improvement. The problem is that Alabama is basically at four when you look at the average and the same thing with Georgia, and that's a pretty significant gap in terms of talent and Mullen's going to have to close that gap at some point, or he's just gonna have to outcoach both Saban and Kirby on a yearly basis in order to get there. And, you know, if he's capable of doing that, eventually these classes are really going to get, are really going to get loaded because if he can prove he can beat those guys with, with, um, with classes in the tens, you know, all of a sudden people are going to decide they want to come. The problem comes when you can't get over that hump and people keep going to Alabama and keep people, people keep going to Georgia. So again, I said at the start, I mean, you know, this isn't doomsday. It isn't the end of the world, but it is what we saw in April and May, sort of the slow start and how things don't necessarily just all of a sudden boom hit when the season comes and you have a good season. Um, You know, this is, this is what we were concerned about in April is that sort of uh, where they were is where they were going to end up, not necessarily in overall ranking, but in terms of player quality. So, Um, You know, I think there are some positive signs here, but I think there are some areas for improvement. And certainly I think Mullen would admit that as well.
0: We all got a couple, a few tweets here, actually, uh, that kind of just spoke to everything we just spoke to here in the last few minutes. And I'll read a few of those. I'll read some more tomorrow as well on the episode with Bill and I. But Ben Walbright says it was a successful day. The Lakeland sweep was huge. The pipeline is established Sure, not getting Sanders or an extra defensive lineman is dis- uh, is disappointing, but we're in a good spot to regroup and make another push to February. Dustin Wobright says, successful day. We did what we were supposed to do by holding on to our commits and adding three quality players. Missing doorless hurts, but it is recoverable. Time to celebrate the new arrivals. Point to bowl prep and February signing day. Ryan Hinckley says, met needs on the defensive line. Uh Met needs accept defensive line. I'm sorry. So uh Met the de- Met needs accept defensive line, solid class, but not elite on paper. Adding a few top 100 guys before February will be huge. Uh Harold Jackson says still not still not on par with the big boys. That's the standard. Good class, though. So there will those four uh, comments there. Yeah, talking about you established a pipeline, uh, of course, talking Lakeland there, um discussing some of the players that we did miss like doorless uh, but still time to recover in time for February and also a couple of notices there that yeah this is a solid class but going back to the points we just made, you got to start getting the elites up top
1: yeah and I mean the concern here is that so last year in the SEC um you know when you looked at the top eight teams and where they ranked after early signing day um, there were three teams that improved and then five teams that didn't, that either stayed the same or went backwards. The five teams that stayed the same or went backwards had established head coaches. The three teams that saw improvement were Florida, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. And those are all teams that had, that had new coaches coming in. And so I think that's indicative that those coaches were building relationships and that guys held off until February to sign with them because it was such a quick turnaround to the early signing day. And so they didn't, didn't necessarily sign right away. And we saw that with Florida with some of the guys who came in um, who didn't necessarily sign in December. I don't think you're going to get that bump this year. In in the second year you've had a full year to build relationships with people. Um, Sure. There are a couple of guys who maybe are waiting for, um, you know who are waiting for the February signing day just because that's what they've always wanted to do or you got Steele waiting until January and that sort of stuff. But I don't think you're going to see a seven or eight step increase in terms of overall ranking. So really what you're looking at is a ranking somewhere between probably 12 and 14 is where we end up if they get Elam, if they get Steele and if they maybe flip Fuller or somebody else who's who's a high level four star. And you got to ask yourself, is is that good enough in year two? Um, you know, all the other coaches other than, well, and even McIlwain saw significant improvements from year one to year two. This would mean that Mullen has seen just sort of a moderate improvement from year one to year two. And I think when you look at overall 24-7 ranking, it'd actually be a little bit of a step back in terms of um, player quality. So that's concerning. It's, it's concerning also that when you look at the early signing day, so this was as of 2 p.m. today because <laughs> I couldn't look at it after that, but there were 11 of the top 50 who were unsigned or uncommitted. But there were only four of 50 to 100. There were four of 100 to 150, and there were six of 150 to 200. So only 25 of the top 200 guys were left on the board. So we're basically 90% of the way done with class. So if you don't get those targets who are still out there, there isn't really anybody else to flip. And so you know they're going to have to hit on everybody to, to, to move up significantly. And you look at a team like Ohio State that only has, I think, 16 commits or something like that, we're mm-hmm. not going to go in- Um, they're going to get five or six more guys to sign, and and they're going to go flying up the board at some point, too. So um, I think we're kind of where we're going to be, like somewhere in that 13 or 14 range. You can make your own decision as to whether you think that's good enough. I think we've made a case that that's not good enough to compete in the SEC on a regular basis, that, you know, it's going to be a struggle against some of those teams that have recruited at very, very high levels, and you know, I'm interested to see whether Mullen can buck the trend because he proved last year that he's a heck of a coach. And so, and at Mississippi State, he proved it too, you know, so he was bringing in classes that were, you know, typically in the 25th range nationally. Well, now he's bringing in classes that are in that 12 to 14 range. And and what does that mean overall for for the program? And, and is he able to get them into that five, you know, basically a top five team from that? Or does he need to see an uptick in recruiting? And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think he is one of the lead to, um, to success um, to success in recruiting. And hopefully we're seeing that in 2020 and 2021. But, you know, I, this isn't a class I'm going to give an A grade to. I don't I don't think that's, I mean, an A grade would have been up there competing with the top four in the SEC. You know, LSU, A&M, Alabama, and Georgia are 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, it's not like they're 1, 6, 9, and 12, and we're sitting at 16. It's 1, 2, 3, 4. That's who we're competing with year in, year out. And you're going to have to be there to compete with them on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, well, two similar thoughts here. Uh, I'll kind of end the tweets on these. Uh, Brian, uh, at Gator561, satisfied but not blown away, adding the Lakeland Clips made the day a success despite missing on a few others. Having all but one LOI in in is huge. Don't have to worry about holding on to those guys that can now focus on filling the class out with top guys and hit the 2020 class hard. Uh, And Will, one, I think, is, is pretty good. Uh, happy and disappointed—is that possible? <laughs> so uh,
1: you know, I mean, you you look at the, you look at the spectrum of things that can happen, and this was sort of like right in the middle. Right, I mean, if the Lakeland yep. trio had all decided to go elsewhere, it would have been a complete catastrophe. Yeah, right. and if Trey Sanders and 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 some other guys had decided to come to Florida, well, all of a sudden you're looking at that, and you know, people on Twitter are giving us crap about being so critical about about mm-hmm. recruiting earlier in the year.
0: Oh, um, are you know, anyway.
1: Well, uh, you know, that's fine. <laughs> so they they can have their opinions. I mean, you know, in, in in April and June, we we talked specifically about looking where the class was and said it was behind, and. You know, I remember writing but that I, it was but gonna I do
0: want to say, we never once said damn Mullen can't recruit.
1: No, Dale, I I, those I words don't.
0: never came out of our mouth. So
1: <laughs> Well, I, I mean at the, at the end of the day, you gotta look at what's on paper though, and you gotta and you gotta say, Hey, this is where we are. Um, you know, and we'll see in February. I mean maybe he pulls him. I don't want to say a miracle, but maybe he does a really, really good job of closing in, in February. And they, they flip a five-star, you know, you've still got Akeem Dent who hasn't signed with Florida state. You got Sean Fuller, who hasn't signed there either. You know, you bring in Steele, you bring in Elam and all of a sudden things look a lot differently. And I certainly hope that happens. Um, Cause anytime you can bring excellent players to Florida, that's, that's something you want to do. But um, you know, I, I think this is going to be, this is the foundation for a very, very good team. If it's, whether it's the foundation for a championship team is going to have a lot to do with whether Mullen can bring in supplemental classes in the next couple of years that are significant, that, that have a lot of t- high-end talent. Um, it's going to depend on how he can develop his quarterbacks as it does for every program. And I'm excited to see whether he can do that.
0: All right. Well, let's take a look at the rankings before we go the final rankings. I don't think we ever really looked at that and kind of what Florida was, what was facing there. Uh, and where kind of the SEC teams are and some of the competition, uh, in-state competition as well. So Alabama, number one, Georgia, number two, Texas A&M, number three, LSU, number four. That's in the nation. Four of the top teams in the nation in recruiting are from the SEC.
1: <laughs> and three, of, three of them we have to play every year to win the conference.
0: Right, more, more than likely. Georgia and LSU for sure, and then Alabama in the SEC title game, or heck, if Texas A.M. was to win the West, that, that would be a third as or, well. So.
1: Or LSU again, right? I mean, oh, well, if you, you go, think about right. if you think about who's going to win the West, it's probably going to be one of those three, and so you're going to play three of the four every year to have to win the SEC.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oregon at number five. And man, I tell you what, what what a job Crystal ball has done coming to, to Florida, get talent from Florida to go all the way out west uh, and, and getting uh, Thibodeau as well. So, Oregon at number five there. Oklahoma, number six. Clemson, number seven. Michigan, number eight. Texas at number nine. Penn State at 10. Another SEC t- comes in at 11 with Auburn, a team you have to play next year. Uh, so uh, a team that has been been recruiting pretty well. Uh, but, you know, for all said and purposes, I think Gator fans feel pretty confident about that game next year. Ohio State at 12 with 16. Com- Auburn only had 17 commits as well. So they'll probably move up uh, a little bit, maybe lose some guys. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But Ohio State was 12th uh, only 16 commits. So Though, as Will mentioned earlier, they'll move up. Notre Dame comes in at 13. Florida State at 14. Uh, there so if you, know, if you look at them Florida State 19 signees commits combined uh, 14 have signed the letter of intent so five of uh, their commits did not sign so Akeem Dent Nick Cross Brandon Gant uh, Travis J question fuller uh, we said a few of those names a couple of times here all those guys did not sign with Florida State so uh, it will be interesting to see if they can keep a hold of those guys or those guys flip to other well, schools and we'll see
1: I- I want to go to that real quickly because you, you mentioned Ball at Oregon and everybody was really sort of in awe, I think. And and I think some of us as well were concerned in terms of Taggart pulling guys from Florida out to Oregon. You got to wonder at this point whether that was Ball pulling people out to Oregon <laughs> because Taggart can't even get the guys in the state now that he's in the state. So, um, you know, it's it's really been a disaster of a year up there in Tallahassee, and I am enjoying every minute of it. And hopefully, Florida can make it even worse coming into February. But um, anyway, you'd mentioned Oregon, and you'd mentioned Florida yeah. State. I wanted to make sure I shot in.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so that was Florida State at 14th right now. So we'll kind of see where they go uh, when it's, uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, Washington at number 15. Of course, the Gators at 16. Tennessee right behind Florida at the 17th ranked class. Stanford, 18. Of course, Elijah Higgins, big-time wide receiver target for Florida. Ended up going to Stanford. Not really a surprise there. Dan Mullins, former team, Mississippi State, is at 19. Uh, and Probably one of the bigger surprise Will, in the SEC, uh, as well as Arkansas in the top 20 uh, in recruiting after early signing day.
1: Yeah, well, I look forward to more competition in the West. So. <laughs> so, as long as it's not Missouri or Kentucky or Vanderbilt or somebody who's going to be competing with us, on a regular basis, I'm all for it.
0: Uh, And I'll end it at 25, so we'll go USC kind of surprised all the way down at 21 with 20 commits. So uh, a team in in L.A. not recruiting too well. South Carolina at 22, Ole Miss at 23, uh, Nebraska 24, and Purdue at 25. So a lot of SEC teams there in the top 25 uh, kind of ridiculous when you when you think about it, but th- that's laughing in the SEC. Will that you're uh, you're gonna play uh you're gonna play teams that recruit just as well or or not better than you, even though you're highly ranked in the nation, you may only be about uh, sixth in the SEC.
1: Yeah, well, I don't want to steal Bill's thunder, but he always talks about conference placement when it comes. To- so recruiting and how important that is. And so um, some of the work I've done has also indicated that that's really important too, just from a winning percentage standpoint. And so it's harder in the SEC. It just is. And, you know, people can argue and say, oh, you know, you play cupcakes on non-conference, you don't come out of the Southeast. Well, the reality is, is when you play Florida State, you play Miami, and then you play an SEC schedule, you shouldn't have to come out of the Southeast because that's where the best teams are. And so, if some of the better teams were elsewhere, maybe they'd go play them. But um, that's a it's a it's a tough place to play, and it, that's what makes it fun, right? If you come out of the SEC, you figure you're battle tested and ready to win a championship.
0: All right, Will. Anything else, man?
1: Yeah, I just want to thank everybody. It's been a year since I launched Reading Reaction. I had a uh, I had an article this past week, just sort of thanking everybody. You know, I've had people reach out to me via direct message and 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 give me ideas for the for the for the website, I've certainly had you support it both letting me come on here, but then also letting me push the articles and retweeting them and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, we've had some people support the site on Patreon and I just really appreciate, you know, the fact that anybody would think that what I write is is worth money is, is a really humbling thing. So, um, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep putting out as much content as I can and certainly want as much interaction from from the fans as, as we can get. But I just really want to say thank you because, you know, I, I launched it a year ago. I didn't know whether anybody was going to read it. And, you know, I had something the other day that got <laughs> more than 20,000 Reads, wow. so okay. um you know it's it's really cool to see the site grow, to see the traffic grow, see the participation grow. But that's really just because people have shared it, people have seen some sort of value in it. And I just want to say thank you for reading.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Will does great work. Uh, well it was it was kind of funny you left uh, SEC country um uh, before they even went under, and kind of it kind of started the read reaction vendor, venture there. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's been some great work. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of articles and a lot of thoughts that you can't get anywhere else. And I think people have definitely noticed that.
1: Yeah, man, I appreciate that. It's it's fun to do. It's fun to bring a different perspective. I mean, certainly living in Philadelphia, I'm not going to be somebody who tells you where Summerall is going to commit. I'm hopefully going to tell you what it means that he committed. And, yeah. and that's sort of been the ethos of the site. And hopefully we've been delivering on that. And I look forward to interacting with everybody and hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, can bring some good content this coming year too.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to like humble brag or anything on this, but I wish people kind of knew how hard it was to have families and full time jobs and still do what we do. Because <laughs> it, uh, yeah. it it is, uh, you know, and I think you and I have done it enough. We uh, we have to thank our families a whole lot for uh, allowing us to 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 do the do this and like get your nation to enjoy what we do.
1: Absolutely, it's it's a bit of an illness, but. Uh... <laughs> But you know, I mean, I start I started writing originally because I figured I was gonna I was gonna just bore my dad, and my brother with my opinions. So I may as well bore other people with them as yeah. well. And uh, you know, it, it it is a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of fun and it's rewarding and it's it's fun to be part of a community. You know, we we sort of live in a we live in a world where um, you know not to get too <laughs> not to get too large picture, but you know, we we live in a world where there's a lot of division and where there's a lot of um, you know you don't necessarily have um, the same community that you had maybe 50 or you know, 50 or 80 years ago, um, just in your backyard, and people move around a lot and all sorts of stuff. And, and football is one of those things that's just a community thing. It's a communal thing. Every Saturday, there are Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and, and scientists and, and liberal arts majors and all those people coming together around one common goal. And that's a really cool thing. And, uh, you know, I've experienced that community over the last couple of years, and it's really brought value to my life. So, you know, again, thank you, everybody, for reading. And, and you know, it's it's worth putting in the hard work because it's 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 fun and it's rewarding.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely there. So, all right, Will, I'm going to give uh, the uh, listeners and viewers and all that good stuff what they want. They want Bill Sykes, and Bill Sykes will be on tomorrow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you, you were able to commandeer him in the morning, so that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> luckily, I'm, so,
0: luckily, this, today was on my was my first day of vacation for for the holidays. So I was like, "Yes, Bill, we can. I, I can fit you in on the morning schedule."
1: Well, you know he he's one of the he, he's one of those nightwalkers. He's he's always up late at night and doing all sorts of stuff. You'll get a message from him like three in the morning. What was he doing up? And uh, and part of that is because of his job, but I think part of it's just sort of his personality too. So I look forward to hearing what what Bill has to say, and and certainly we get to hear from him behind the scenes all the time. But I know the fans love hearing from him, and uh, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say.
0: Yeah, I'm going to surprise him one of those days, and, and actually reply at three o'clock in the morning, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> then you'll end up in a deep conversation about, oh, the quality, yeah, yeah. Ab- about how star rankings are, are underappreciated by people. I'm not yeah. sure that, uh, I'm not sure you want to get into that at three in the morning there, buddy. Yeah,
0: that's true. That means I won't go, I won't be going back to bed till six o'clock in the morning. So. <laughs> uh,
1: it'll be good. So, we, we love Bill. It'll be good to have him back on the podcast. And and I know he's sort of been itching. This is always the season where he gets the most, uh, oh, yeah. the most packed up. So I'm sure he's going to come with all sorts of different facts and, uh, you know, hopefully he can. Uh, hopefully he can keep it to an hour, an hour and a half for you, there, buddy.
0: <laughs> the five star nerd will will be making his appearance in the next episode of Gators Breakdown. So, uh, will yeah. I uh, hope you have a good Christmas, man. Uh, it's kind of will be our final episode together before uh, the holiday. So, have a good Christmas with you and your family. And uh, I think uh, we we does this episode was really good. Uh, I think we did we did some good things here.
1: Hey, right back at you, man, and Merry Christmas to everybody out there. And uh, we're not going away. We we okay. can't stay away stuff so uh looking forward to the bowl game and uh there will be some previews up and then a recap of that too and then back to the recruiting for february so never stops never a dull moment and uh, we'll be there for it
0: all right you can find all that on will's site at read and and you can follow will on twitter at will miles sec i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters and you can find me on twitter at gator Dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown